Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Sned. This week, as promised, We Live Inside You by Jeremy Robert Johnson. Uh, here's a little bit about Jeremy from the Swallowdown Press site. Jeremy Robert Johnson is a novelist and the author of a multitude of acclaimed short stories. His writing has been nominated for the Pushcart Prize three times, the Needle Award, and the Bram Stoker Award. Jeremy's fiction covers a broad spectrum of literary and genre material and at times pushes the outer boundaries of both style and content, while never forgetting the heart of the story. Characters you can relate about. Ideas that astound. Images that become indelible. You could call his work bizarro. You would not be wrong. Okay, and a little bit about We Live Inside You. We pulled this synopsis from Amazon. We are within you, and we are growing, watching, waiting for your empires to fall. It won't be long now. We are the fear of death that drives you and the terrible hunger that reshapes you in its name. We are the vengeance born from senseless slaughter and the pulsing reptile desires that negates your consciousness. We are the lie on your lips, the collapsing star in your heart, and the still warm gun in your shaking hand. The illusion of control is all will allow you, and no matter what you do, we live inside you. That's a really beautifully written synopsis. Uh, my uh, my uh, <laughs> congratulations to whoever wrote that, if it was Jeremy or somebody else. It was pretty terrific. Yeah, if we had an award for best synopsis, this would be in the running. <laughs> I would have to agree. Maybe that's what they need, like a Bram Stoker Award for best synopsis. There it is. There it is. <laughs> oh, early in the show this time. Sean P. Ferguson tag. All right, uh, like like we said, this is a collection of short stories by Jeremy Robert Johnson in the uh, Bizarro genre. Uh, following up last week's episode, we did the intro to Bizarro with J. David Osborne, said we were going to be reading some Bizarro, and now we're going to kick it back to you guys with some awesome reviews of some weird fiction. All right, so um, what to say about this collection as a whole? It is uh, it, it covers a wide variety of, of um, genres, which is a little bit of what was in the um, the bio for for Jeremy Robert Johnson. So, um, you know, we say this is our bizarro book. I was pleasantly surprised, or I don't know, if pleasantly is the right <laughs> word. But I was I was very surprised to find that it was just very diverse and not necessarily all just you know what we talked about on the show. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I fully agree. Uh, <laughs> it was weird because. This uh, starting out the collection, one of the stories is not so bizarre, but it's still got some weirdness to it. And then the second story is like a slap of bizarreness across your face. But then, yeah, like Livia said, very diverse. Um, and the thing that I think the overall thing that I pulled from this is how just well written it was. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with that. It is very well written. Um, but we're going to kick it off like uh, we do all of our other um, collection review episodes, and we're just going to each talk about three stories that uh, were our favorites or our standout stories. So, Rob, you want to you want to start off? Sure. Um, I tried to mix mix it up a little bit, the types of stories that I'm going to talk about. This first one I thought was <laughs> really funny, but it just it definitely had that kind of like freaky weirdness to it it's a story called consumerism and it's basically the entire the entire story is from the perspective of a guy who is in a car that's been crashed and he's talking in a very strange way to his son who's also trapped in this wrecked vehicle with him and he talks about what's going on and 
and he says things in a really weird and detached way as if he's not actually being you know affected by it or maybe he's in shock but anyway um it's got a really strange quality to it and then it takes a really unexpected turn at the end which i thought was really cool yeah it was uh it was probably the most strangely written story of the bunch in my opinion but it is also um tied into a couple other stories so it's something you and i may have to uh may have to dig up if i remember correctly from the uh very detailed and very cool author's notes at the end um this is the third story he wrote about those particular characters something like that yeah we can talk about it a little bit but um yeah pretty crazy uh really good story and um (laughs) it'll come up in the quotes later but very very quotable story but uh, the weird thing is that this a lot of the parts of this um, collection were so engrossing that i had forgotten entirely to make notes about stuff to talk about later so i'm kind of regretting that now you know, I had that exact same problem as I was going through. I was probably, I think I have one bookmarked quote from the first half of the book, and then the rest of them had to come later, and I had to remind myself that, I, hey, I'm actually, this is, this is like work. I'm not just supposed to be enjoying this and, you know, kind of flipping pages on my Kindle. It's I'm actually supposed to be yeah. <laughs> taking notes and stuff. So I, I think I have a couple actually early on ones, which I'll kind of share a little bit earlier, but they say things like, you is, you know, I think one of my notes, so... <laughs> um, but actually, you know what? And I will start with uh, with that story is going to be my first one. Now, other than Rob, I didn't um, just go with, you know, three I wanted to talk about. I actually um, did mine in my top three favorite ones. So um, my first one is When Susrus Stirs. And uh, this is a story about uh, a man who becomes infected with uh, a parasite. And uh, not to give, you know, too much away, but basically what happens is that he kind of becomes one with his parasite, with eventually the parasite taking over him. But it, it just has this great feel to him, how this is a part of him, and he kind of embraces a parasite, where I would think, like, the first thing I'd want is get this thing out of me. But one of the effects I'm guessing the parasite has on him is that it... Uh, you know, it makes him feel so good that he, he loves it, and it's a part of him, and he wants to become one with this parasite. Mm-hmm. I have to call out your notes <laughs> because Livius actually did notes on a lot of the stories at the beginning because he, he got started before I started reading the book. Um, <laughs> so the notes in, in, that we have for when Susrus stirs says a man becomes one with his parasite. Also, lots of bad things happen with his junk. <laughs> yeah, that's um, yeah, it, it's. <laughs> Again, not to spoil the story, but man, this is this is some really, especially if you're a guy reading this, like he, the the visuals that the that Jeremy gives you are not something you ever want to think about. And I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit because this is one of my notes, and it wasn't really a quote, but I as I said, I had some notes in here. This one just says gross, and I'm gonna I'm just gonna kind of read this this paragraph real quickly. The relief of pressure was immediate. My mirror caught the worst of the spray, instantly shellacked with dead cell soup in a spray pattern near arterial in its arc. Yep, just listening to you say that kind of got me all. <laughs> yeah, and and that was that wasn't even like you know one of the really really bad bad parts. It's just I think that note just kind of went in there because that's after I had read a bunch of stuff. And as the more I look through here, I'm not going to read it on the show because I still like to keep it family friendly. <laughs> And the thing that I will say that is kind of cool about this book and has to do with when Susrus stirs is um, Johnson has some really cool notes in the book, and he talks about his fascination with parasites. And that kind of adds another level to it. Like, it's not like he just used it as some sort of, you know, device to, to get really gross. 
got you know he's he's really fascinated with the idea of parasites and that's what you know inspired these stories and and thinking about <sighs> i was going to do a little preparation on this and and then time got past me but i was thinking about some some weird parasites that i'd seen where um there's like a, a little worm or something that infects uh some type of bug i can't remember but um it makes it um compelled to go to water like it basically loses all of its own you know mental you know focus and is just compelled to do nothing but get to water as quickly as possible where it drowns and then the worm comes out it's really strange but like yeah pirate parasites are really messed up to, to tag on to that in that little section where he explains his fascination with parasites he actually says hey just youtube any of these terms and it's a few parasites <laughs> he mentioned and i looked up one and i don't remember it's liver something or another but yeah, about 30 seconds of watching someone remove a squiggly, wormy thing from inside somebody's body. I didn't even read any of the details on where this was or whatever, but yeah, it was <laughs> enough to turn me off from uh, YouTubing any more videos. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so the next story, are we, are we good with Susrus? Sure, love All it. Right. <laughs> the next story I want to talk about is called The Encore. And um, early in the story, a man is... is grieving the loss of, of what I'm assuming is his, his partner um, who from what I gather is some sort of aerialist in the circus and um, it's just a really really sad story unexpectedly sad and very somber and everything and the way it was written was really touching and I, I honestly it's a short short story so I can't talk much about it but fantastically written really really heavy emotion that I thought was great I agree with you on all accounts that aerialism that she does. I've actually seen videos of this, or at least one or two, um, and I think it's maybe even more of like a Cirque du Soleil kind of thing. But yeah, they just suspend a woman from her hair, and she does like through the motions of moving her body, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and and swimming, yeah, you know, swinging herself around, you know, does all these cool things. But the whole the whole thing of it is she's hanging from her hair, which is kind of nuts if you think about it. <laughs> All right, my second favorite story, and I say this kind of loosely because even as I'm looking at the the notes, and in our notes, as, as you know, Rob had read the one, just quick one sentence things to remind us of what they are. So you read these, and it's kind of hard to remember just from the title. But my second favorite story was States of Glass. Um, definitely not what I consider to be a bizarro story, or as you know, when we were talking to, to David Osborne about it, you know, what what he kind of brought across to us, and there's nothing typically really weird on this. It's about a woman who uh, receives a phone call that her husband has died in a, in a terrible car accident. And uh, the, the best way I can say this, in my opinion, it's kind of like she's dealing with her own, um, her own kind of stages of, of, of loss. You know, like everybody knows, or not everybody knows what they are, but they've heard of like the seven stages of loss. And it's kind of like she's going through her own um, stages of dealing with losing her husband and it's just it's a very emotional story and the thing I really liked about it is I think I think Jeremy really captured kind of the weirdness that goes in on in our heads like there's a there's a static reaction that everyone's supposed to have you know when certain events happen and it's just not the way your brain works and I think this is a lot of what what we saw there was this woman's kind of the range of different emotions she went through and not all of them real what you would consider to be common sense, but it, it just did a really good job of, of showcasing how 
people can be affected differently by different things, I guess. I agree fully thinking about the story and her uh, unique reaction to the news that she gets. Obviously, denial is 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 denial no matter what. Um, I've never lost a husband, thank God. <laughs> but I mean, I've had people die in my family and, and I've had those moments during the process of kind of working through it where I'm like, God, I can't believe this is the thought that I have in my mind and, you know, things like that. So it's, it rings very true. Yeah, I, I really liked it. And this goes back a little bit to what we were saying before. And I know you said we could talk about it later, but um, I, I don't know. Did you, did you find this to fit what you thought Bizarro was? I mean, I, I think this was just a really, really well-written dramatic story. I, I don't know. Like in as much as not a lot of people would think to go there, it might be considered weird or a little bit offbeat, but really it's, yeah, like you said, just it reads like any other story. Yeah, I the, my immediate thought about upon reading it, and of course, you know, I said we have Bizarro on the brain, so we're going to keep referring to this. And even in his bio, you know, I want to stress that he doesn't say he's just a Bizarro author. Um, like, I thought, like, where is this not at home in a collection? Like, you could literally, like, I thought it was a great story. People who've listened to the show know that kind of like darker things or whatever. But you know what? This could have also been in a romance novel and been perfectly at home or in, a, you know, top blah, 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 literary stories of the year where you probably wouldn't find um, the the Susra story that we just talked about just because of its content. I mean, like you said, it could be at home anywhere and do very well in multiple different genres. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks a little bit at least to what... Osborne was saying about how it's bizarro is, you know, uh, I think he even quoted Jeremy Robert Johnson about how it's uh, the most general term since literary or something. Mm-hmm. And and he, that's really demonstrated in this, in this collection where, I mean, the stories are just all over the map as far as where you would try and categorize them. What do you got for your, uh, for your third and final story? I want to talk about, <laughs> I was going to go through this straight, but uh, I can't, um, I want to talk about a story called The Brilliant Idea, which not 15 minutes ago I was talking to Livius and I said, what's this brilliant idea story? I don't remember this at all. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I had to go back and kind of refresh my memory in the, in, on my Kindle. And when I did, I was like, oh my God, I can't, I can't believe I forgot this one because it's so good. And I think the reason is, is it's really short. So I didn't have a lot of, as much time to kind of to live in it before I moved on to the next story. But uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it it's a second person it's told from a second person perspective which i don't think i've really read much of at all but it happens kind of frequently in this collection which i thought was kind of refreshing and different um it's about a guy who (laughs) figures out something very profound but then forgets it and becomes obsessed with it and um again it's really short but it's very focused and and intense i think was what i liked the most about it yeah i i liked it too and one of the reasons it's exactly what you said like I don't know how many times this has happened to you, but like late at night you're laying in bed and you, you think you've like figured out something really, really great. And then of course you fall asleep in the next morning. No clue. Like, you know that you came up with something genius, but it's just, it, it's eluded you and gone. And again, it's like kind of the reality of it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It, it was really cool. And, um, I know that I'm, it might seem that I'm stepping away from the weird, um, but that's part because I know the type of stories that Livius was going to mention, but also just because like, I think that the biggest takeaway I had, and and this is uh, my first, my first foray into Bizarro, um, is just 
the thing I come back to is what a really talented writer Johnson is, and that's what I felt like I needed to to talk about the most, I guess. And in keeping with that um, statement, my favorite book, um, and I'm going to say this, my favorite, or I'm sorry, my favorite story, easily my favorite story of the collection, um, unfortunately, again, didn't fall into the bizarro genre. Um, maybe, unfortunately, I don't know. Persistence hunting. Um, this was uh, like a, just an absolute page turner for me, which is yeah, you know, tough to say because it's all of you know twenty pages on my Kindle, but um, I just couldn't read the story fast enough. It's a it's pretty simple story. It's about a it's about a guy who uh, who's obsessed with running and uh, transfers that running over to being obsessed with being a cat burglar, and he meets a woman. That's really all I'm gonna say about the actual story, but uh, the emotion I think he captured with his with his main character, with the runner slash cat burglar, and the situation that he gets into, I just thought was absolutely terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the story too. Uh, not not much more to say about it. Just really well written and a and a cool concept and everything. Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, and and I. <laughs> Again, the things that he does in the book that are a little bit strange that I really admire. There, the the book's broken up into to basically two parts, and the second part uh, is called the Parasite B sides and Rarities, where he's got a couple stories, and uh, one of them is an extended version of Persistence Hunting. Um, <laughs> my notes are so terrible. It says Persistence Hunting, and then parentheses is extended, and then I describe it as an extended version of Persistence Hunting. Um, <laughs> And, and in this B-side part, he does a lot more personal notes where he's kind of talking directly to you and, and about what, what's going on. And the note that he gave for this, I thought was just great. <laughs> and I'm going to read it out right now. Including a 6,000-word second-person crime story set in your hometown and quite overly displaying your James Elroy obsession, takes some moxie in the first place. And putting it early in your collection where anti-second-person readers are likely to be popped right out, that's pushing your luck. But real hubris would be to include a 12,000-word director's cut version of the same story, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was very neat, especially um, Rob got a little bit ahead of me in reading it, and he goes, yeah, hey, you know, I said, yeah, I got 25% off. He goes, hey, yeah, that one story you really liked, um, there's like a longer version of it, and so it was a real treat for me to get the extra the extra stuff a second time around, but uh just a really well-written story and again i mean i'm gonna sound like a like you know an echo of myself but at home in a ton of different genres not just um not just you know bizarro obviously i mean this is a crime crime noir drama i mean there's there's a bunch of things that that go on there there's a, a kind of love story happening i mean there's some really different things and none of it you know particularly strange or bizarre mm-hmm. so those are our our, our kind of our faves um god damn it i just said faves <laughs> whenever whenever wherever uh that that being said there's some really really great really messed up stuff that goes on in this book too if you're looking for that type of thing um one of the one of the stories actually which we had read in the past uh laws of virulence uh, is a story that appeared in the Warmed and Bound anthology that we talked at length about back in July and August, which is um, basically this... Um, it's written almost as a transcript of a conversation between a person and uh, a CDC, Centers for Disease Control, uh, you know, official or whatever, and about this weird 
parasitic kind of infection that hits his family and and it's the guy kind of going through uh being detained and dealing with all the crazy stuff that happened to him and it's uh really messed up and and graphic in in parts but also yeah a pretty touching story yeah that was very close to to making my list and i just kind of knew that we'd be talking about it anyway since it's the second time we've read it but um yeah, really, really disturbing story about this. And I'll get a little more detail. It's about this guy and like you know, what, what happens with his family who gets infected with a sort of parasite of some sort. Um, and, and like the, not only does he become infected with it, but like the things he has to do um, that involve his family. And it was just very, very heartbreaking story. But at the same time, kind of stomach turning and, and very, very, um, uh, here's a word we'll probably use a lot, bizarre. Yeah. So that was cool, and it was nice to revisit that story. Um, at the, I mean, I, we obviously knew who we were reading at the time, but uh, we couldn't have predicted that it would come back to us, you know, four months, five months later, or whatever. Yeah, and I and I don't want this to sound backhanded. Um, I think, you know, it was a very memorable story the first time I read it. This time, kind of in the context of the book, or maybe I know a little bit more about Bizarro or whatever, but I really pretty sure i appreciate it more the second time around which could have had to do just with you know with its surroundings when i read it the second time i think it kind of uh, stood out a little um and warmed and bound because that was more of a noiry crime kind of um collection mm-hmm. you know and there was some other bizarro stories in there that we mentioned and quite a few that we liked but yeah i really liked the story the second time around uh, not that i didn't the first time but a lot more mm-hmm Okay, and we're not going to talk about every single story, but I thought it bear, but I thought it would bear mentioning. Um, towards the end, in this B sides and rarities part at the back of the book, is um, a piece called "The Mars Volta's Descent into Bedlam," and it's where uh, Jeremy Robert Johnson talks about um, the band, the Mars Volta, and the when. It's a whole story about they're making uh, the album called "The Bedlam in Goliath." And it has to do with like a kind of Ouija board type of thing and all these really weird, freaky things that happen to the band. And it's it's so fascinating. Livius, it's a little bit nonfiction-y, but uh, what, did, what did you think about it? I learned stuff from it. <laughs> um, I thought it was really, really interesting. I'm not very familiar with the Mars Volta. Um, it, did, uh, it did get me to click some YouTube videos, though, and, and listen to it after I'd read it. Uh, so to listen to them on, on YouTube. But... Um, it was kind of interesting, and it was written in a way that made it very engaging. Uh, and I guess that's what you get when you have a fiction writer writing nonfiction versus the other way around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. And, and I mean, even if you – I've never really listened to any Mars Volta either, but it, it was written in a way where I'm like, man, I need to check this out. It sounds like it's pretty cool. And then having that kind of additional knowledge of – of the the album or just like those kind of pictures in my head i thought what you know listening to that album would would be a little bit more enhanced so yeah it's really cool i think i might check it out yep youtube that stuff that's right bitches that's right or were you talking Uh, to me i was i was (laughs) talking in general youtube that i was gonna not say shit and then you threw bitches in there so whatever all right, and as Rob was intrigued by the Mars Volta story, we were both kind of intrigued by something called Symmetrina, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, again, he had some some notes at the end um, about the stories, which were great to get a little bit of you know backstory or, or some insight into what um, had him write this. Um, we looked into this a little bit, uh, and 
guess I'm going to let Rob, he actually read the whole thing. I'm going to let him kind of explain to you what Symmetrina is. Okay, so four of the stories in this collection are part of a Symmetrina, which I, I looked up really quickly, and, and based on the very first website I found, this is what this is the information that we have. Uh, it's a work made up of thematically linked shorter narratives, and it has the characteristics of a title, which refers to the common theme but does not name it directly. It has at least seven sections, each with its own title. Um, and then there's certain types of rules, like uh, different parts have to be written in first person, second person, third person. And then um, there's specified lengths of the stories, which I thought was pretty interesting. And and so it's essentially a very structured way to write a multi-part um, collection of short stories that are, I guess, thematically linked. And uh, so, like I said, four of the stories in this collection are part of one of these Symmetrinas. And um, it, it just struck, it struck me as interesting. I, I got really excited back in the day when I first found out about flash fiction or micro fiction or whatever you want to call it you know the different types of of structures for those types of stories so this idea of a symmetrina was really interesting to me yeah it's uh it looks like a like a worthy exercise if you're writing i mean just a way to to work with some really you know stringent rules to get you to kind of create a, a world of under 20 stories kind of around this particular thing but um it's uh yeah the four stories in there are are, are very good stories um I'm, I'm kind of interested in how they would read straight through as part of a of, of a whole group mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah um and who knows maybe we can get jeremy on and uh, he can tell us a little more about that and why he chose to do that <laughs> absolutely that'd be great uh you want to move on to some quotes do you have any quotes i, I have some quotes all right well i'll kick it off um and again a lot of this book is very, very quote worthy. And I wish that I had paid more attention kind of in the first third of the book. Cause there's, I mean, like I, like I said, with, um, with that story about the guy who's in that, in that wrecked vehicle, I practically every line is, is quotable, but here's a little bit to kick it off. This is from, uh, from Livius's his big story that he fell in love with persistence hunting. And there's really no setup necessary steal a man's coke and his girl and he might move on with his life but kill his dog he'd probably hunt you to the ends of the earth i like that i just liked it i it like was... i liked everything about that story though i guess so. <laughs> um i'm you know i said i wasn't going to do it earlier but hell i'm going to do it i found my second note in the book which just says yikes <laughs> um so <laughs> if there are children listening this is where you want to pause it and send them out of the room um, or if you're very, very sensitive about what might happen to your genitals, probably another good time to, to tune out for a second. So uh, hit your 30-second skip if you're listening on, uh, on a player that allows that. Um, this is from When Sus Rust Stirs. I, I'm going to preface this by saying that, and as I said before, is, is he becomes more, um, just more enamored with, with you know, the, the parts that are living inside him. He starts to refer to... Um, to him as, as us and we instead of my or, or whatever so at this point we're actually reading kind of from the the standpoint of the the parasites that live inside him our penis is heavier its skin shifts constantly there are more veins white beneath the surface the head has bloomed from mushroom tip to flower it is open flayed in rose-like petals red pulsing we bandage it to keep it from seeping down our leg yep shudder 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 <laughs> Well, if that doesn't paint a strong picture, I don't know, you know. 
All right. I now that I feel bad because I don't have a lot of those uh, uh, weirder, gross, more gross moments. But here's a quick one that I liked. Actually, I'm going to do two in a row because they're they're thematically linked. I just said that because I read thematically linked when I was talking about the symmetry none. So anyway, uh, here we go. Uh, this is from these both are from the story States of Glass, which is about the woman who lost her husband. His teeth now tucked in SUV tires. <sighs> His teeth now tucked in SUV tire treads, chewing up pavement. Come on. That's just... Come on. That's brilliant. <laughs> uh, and then immediately after that, if he didn't have his mind on the road before, well... Uh, so... Play on words. Kind of punny, but, you know, does the trick. I, I thought they were great. Yeah, comical, but also very um, very vibrant in, in their description. Yeah, yeah. So Rob kicked it off with persistence hunting um, with his first quote, and I'm going to kind of tag on to that. Um, this is just, he had just met this girl, and they had this, this you know, little thing that happens between them, and now she's dropping him off. Um, Ava was an Olympic-level tease. When she dropped you off at your uncle's house, she leaned in close, said she wanted to look at your pupils, be sure you didn't have any brain damage. She locked you in at the eyes. Her lips floated a hair's breadth away from yours, the heat from her face mixing nicely with your Valium brain damage buzz. That's nice. Yeah, I really like that. Something you can feel, like you know, when you're reading that one. Let me tag on to that that style of quote with another one that I liked a lot, which I think is from the extended, the director's cut of the same story. Her car door slammed. Headlights slapped you blind, and then she was gone. That's quick and and fantastic. And uh, and I'm gonna go with one more from that story, and if I have another one, I'm just gonna start reading it from the beginning. Um, God, she was easy on the eyes. Too bad she was murder on the rest of you. That's good. That's like gritty, pulpy feeling. Well, and that's another um, something that he does you know, occasionally in here was is just like you'd say, kind of the play on words. You know, just taking a statement that you're familiar with and then twisting it into something a little, you know, a little different. Yep. I'm gonna drop one last one, and this is from. If I remember correctly, this is from the first story in Parasite B-Sides and Rarities part of the book called The Musty Cow's Teat of Death, uh, which was probably the most out there uh, <laughs> weird, weird story in the entire collection. Uh, and it's really quick, but I, I like the imagery of it. The explosion would be as vast and luminescent as a deep sea fish that learned to breakdance. Um oddly enough my next one is also from the same story and I'm, I'm not sure how close it is to yours it sounds <laughs> like it might be really close this one's a little longer but the this, this story I, I need someone to explain it to me I'm just not intelligent enough to understand this particular story and he did preface it with saying that it was a little out there but, but here's a little bit of an out there paragraph <laughs> shit I was still holding his wriggly non-cooked pumpkin who had just startled the briefly mesmerized nuclear blast and knocked over my iced tea, there would be hell to pay or purgatory to rent at a minimum if I did not act fast. Now, although I have no idea what that meant in that story <laughs> at all, um, I will say this. Uh, it is uh, um, that, that part. Again, it's another play on words. Hell to pay or purgatory to rent. Yep. Yeah, just fantastic. That was that that was part of the story I think stood out for me the most, too. It was that was the little weird quips like that. His, he's got some real clever parts to his, his stories. 
All right. Um, I have more. Obviously, I always have more quotes, but I think that's all I'm going to be doing uh, this time around. Are you ready to do a little wrap-up and give a rating for this? I am. Um, let me just kind of reiterate the things I said earlier. I walked into this expecting a lot of When Sus Rest Stirs, um, which was a great story and listed in my top three. Um, what I got was a really, really diverse um, group of stories that were extremely well written um, by an author who was really able to kind of grab a hold of, uh, of, of human emotion and, and kind of relay things back to you in a way that made you feel something. In some cases, that was very sad, as we mentioned in a couple of the stories. Um, in some cases, it was just kind of a generally emotional feeling. And in some, it was just downright like I was really sad I was eating my lunch while I was reading this and <laughs> feel so good after reading a couple of those passages. So um, overall, I was very impressed with it. Um, I, I don't know that Bizarro's really for me, at least not all the time, but certainly it has opened my eyes to be willing to read more Bizarro. And for that, I'm going to give it a solid four stars. Um, yeah, I agree a lot. I mean, I agree a lot with what Livia said. There's a lot of diversity to this collection and um, it has its fair share of some really weird, sometimes very disturbing moments, sometimes really creepy. Uh, there was a story we didn't talk about where, um, you know, it's kind of like a, a ghost coming back to right some wrongs kind of thing that really creeped me out. Uh, so, yeah, it, it kind of it experiences almost every different type of, of you know, story and, and, and everything. And overall i'm just impressed with what a good writer johnson is i know this is the third time i'm probably saying it but um yeah no matter what type of story he was writing the the thing that struck me the most was how well it was delivered and um overall i gotta agree with livius this is a four-star book easily yeah and and it, it like i said i you know kind of get off talking about the book and just talk about kind of the feel in general yeah, I was kind of worried we're going to read a Bizarro book. Like I said, I'd read a couple with, with some mixed results. And um, kind of said, God, what a goddamn good writer, though. I mean, it's <laughs> definitely not what I'm not saying I didn't expect him to be a good writer. What I didn't expect was just the versatility that he shows in his storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great stuff. All right. And now that that fulfills our Bizarro commitment from our uh, from our intro to Bizarro episode. Um, Rob, you got anything else you want to talk about tonight? Yeah, we got some hot news, some uh, some crazy stories going on right now. This is um, this has popped up on Facebook for us, as well as uh, a couple of the random blogs we follow and everything. But there's a, a publisher by the name of Trestle Press, which is making uh, waves right now because it, it was accused of, and then very very soon after, very easily, uh, it was confirmed that. Uh, they were using images for their cover art that they may not have specifically had permission to use or, or licensing to use, which is um, causing just crazy amounts of trouble. Uh, I don't know who first called it out, but it's at the point where, you know, there's a bunch of authors who are talking about it in their individual blogs and how upset they were. And um, Trestle Press on their main website had posted uh, a comment about it, basically saying in not so many words that they had used some images without express permission from the owners and everything. So uh, cover art shakeup going on right now. Yeah, I think the internet makes it a little easier for people to kind of go to the same well intentionally or not. Um, 
and I think people are still kind of feeling around and trying to feel out what's wrong. I don't know the Trestle Press did something that intentionally wrong, and I'm not familiar with the whole story, so I don't want to speak out of line. But I suppose with the way the things go nowadays and stock images and stuff, you know, you could grab something and just not understand what you're supposed to do to acquire it correctly. Well, the one thing that stuck out that... And in some points, it's actually just completely blatant. Uh, there's, there's, um, and I'll put the. I don't know if this is stirring the pot too much or not, but or or you know, whatever. But I can put the link on the post for this episode. Uh, there's a link that I found where they're they put Trestle Press books up next to the original art. One of them is an image from a video game called Hitman. <laughs> it's the main like cover image for that video game. Uh, there's another where it's um, it's a picture from, I think, a Ghost Rider comic book uh, that they just cut out the flaming head and use that for the cover. So some of it's really blatantly, obviously, um, uh, you know, major uh, intellectual material from other places, which, to be fair, I don't know if those where some of the ones uh, on the Trestle Press website, he said that they didn't get permission for everything. So that obviously means they do have permission for some of it. But I have to imagine that Marvel Comics has nothing to gain from letting Trestle Press use a picture of Ghost Rider on one of their covers. So as much as I'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt, it seems like it's a pretty obvious case of just like lazy theft almost. Um, yeah, and that's me not doing my research, but as I'm scrolling through these, yeah, I, I take back everything I said. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, and you know, I mean, I guess the, so then the question becomes, and this is, this is just me playing like, you know, kind of weird backwards devil's advocate. <laughs> like how little do you think about your press that you think you could take an image from ghost rider or from Hitman, which is a very popular video game and just have nobody notice it. Like, Meh, not that many people are going to buy our books. We can slide by with it. Yeah, and then and then taking your your thought to another, in another direction, how little do you think of the authors, who who you're you're publishing their work, that you're going to drag them into, you know, a, a really bad situation with their with the stuff that they're writing, you know. Yeah, and that's not to say that we we are faulting the authors at all, but you know what? I mean, I think that there are some people who would be mad at the authors and not understand that. Um, in some cases, if you know you don't provide a cover, the publisher is the one who's going to do it for you, or the press. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's obvious from what I've read of the story that the authors are kind of in the in the in the victim pool with uh, with some of these uh, uh, owners of the original art and stuff. It's just a really sad kind of. Uh, I don't like to throw around words like this, but it's really kind of pathetic. <laughs> but man, what a shakeup! I, I you just don't expect to see stuff like that, I guess. And we're seeing it more and more. If it's not, you know, plagiarism of passages from one book, um, go on with your next story. Um, David James Keaton posted this on Facebook the other day, um, and this is like if you thought Trestle Press stealing some images for for their their books cover art was a slap in the face. Um, Livius really point Livius originally kind of clocked this story. And then I, I kind of went in and looked at it, but um, David James Keaton posted this on Facebook. And essentially this guy was, was flipping through an Amazon uh, list of a hundred top 100, whatever's 
saw a book that looked strikingly similar to a book that his friend had published. Um, so he, he, you know, he pulled up the images, you know, or whatever next to each other. And the, and the cover art was exactly the same with a different title and a different author. The author's name, by the way, J.K. Patterson. Hmm. Now, uh, going a little bit further, I don't know. Uh, he, he just had the impulse to go into the book and check it out. And it is word for word the exact same book. So someone took his friend's book, which was, you know, obviously uh, looking at copyright dates and stuff, his friend's book came out first, copied it word for word, put an almost identical cover on it, and used the author named J.K. Patterson to sell it on Amazon. That is so crazy. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, like I said, I kind of mentioned, just wanted you to get into into your, uh, you know, into the actual story. But, you know, up until now, it's been these passages were lifted from this, this, you know, that's kind of what we've been running into, or this story is frighteningly similar to another one. But uh, if this is true, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of disturbing that an entire work could be lifted. And just you know, and, and not even not even reworked. At least the other stuff, you know, you could see where there's some changes made, and you know, yeah. just flat out like I pulled down the new Patterson book, and you know, and, and and put my name down at the bottom of the cover and try to sell it, you know, on, on Amazon. Yeah, and yeah, the sad thing is that there's so many books out there that you know, you know, these these people who are stealing books are are using names like J.K. Patterson, which will come up. Obviously, in search results for legitimate authors, well, <laughs> big named authors, I can't say that, for legitimate authors who work for their money, um, just so that they can come up, you know, in these search results and <laughs> and, and take advantage of people. It's, it's, that's the punch in the gut that comes after the trestle press slap in the face. Look at you, just people beating up. Beaten up, punch in the gut, slap in the face. <laughs> what I would like to say, though, and, and you bring up another interesting point, and I, I was scrolling through it, so I'm sorry if you mentioned this or not, but um, the the Robert Swartwood, who posted this um, just a few days ago on his blog, um, was cruising through the top 100 horror Kindle titles, which means that the J.K. Patterson and the stolen book, the whole concept, worked. Because yeah. authors fight hard to get into the top 100 of even a particular genre, you know, and that's where he found it. So it's not like he found it buried in a nobody's buying it. People were paying for this, and the combination of is of which, quite honestly, that whole Patterson thing. I, I totally missed it when glancing at this article. Mm -hmm. Obviously, worked to search for you know for Jay Patterson. Um, you know, would pull this up, and, and you know, and, and somebody bought it. And I'm assuming that. A few people maybe bought it because that's how they came across it. Hey, maybe this guy is like James Patterson's evil twin or like alternate reality James Patterson where instead of just like... <laughs> Bizarro James Patterson. Bizarro James Patterson because instead of, you know, um, taking an author's work and, and essentially maybe fluffing it up and putting his name on it, he's actually just straight up stealing the work. God, I hope James Patterson's <laughs> lawyers never ever listen to this show. Um, that's what it is. The other, the co-author, his name is K. That's that's what it is the J.K. Patterson. That's what it's been down to. Now. And for the record, um, 
what we're talking about are two alternate reality people having nothing to do with the actual James Patterson. <laughs> yes, and the opinions uh, and thoughts expressed on Book Podcast are not the thoughts of me or Rob or anybody else. That's right. It's so all that scripted. Is, yeah, that's not the opinion of anybody. This show is only to be used for entertainment purposes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, enough of that glum doldrums kind of stuff. Uh, we have some exciting announcements coming up, and I'll let Livius talk a little bit now. All right. Um, a couple episodes ago, you may have heard Rob talk about how he was going to badger me into uh, going to Noir at the Bar. Well, Rob succeeded. And uh, we will be attending Noir at the Bar on February 28th in St. Louis. That's right. That's the one. There's two, one right after, you know, one week after the other. This is going to be the one where Caleb J. Ross and Gordon Highland are guest, uh, guest reading there. So we're pretty excited about that. I believe I mentioned on a previous episode, I was going to track uh, Caleb Ross down to get him to sign my book. Caleb, we're coming for you, buddy. That's right. <laughs> we're, co- <laughs> we're coming for you like J.K. Patterson. Yeah, whatever that means. I, yeah, I, don't, I don't really know what that means. <laughs> um, so that's one reading we're doing. Uh, what else do we got going on that week? Okay, so um, as everybody knows, because we won't stop talking about it, AWP starts on February 29th and goes through March 3rd. And we were cruising through some offsite uh, a list of offsite events, and we, we we already knew about the wrong kind of reading, which is what the title of the reading that Anthony Neal Smith is kind of the the brainchild for. And Smith's going to be there. David James Keaton is participating, and there's a, a handful of other authors too. So we're excited about that one. And uh, we we ran across a listing for the following day, which is pretty exciting too. Um, we're not sure there's an official name for this reading, but it is the Flywheel Magazine slash Burnt Bridge Reading Flywheel Magazine, the baby of David James Keaton that we've mentioned here on the show um, quite frequently. Um, very excited to both of those. It's going to be a good time hanging out with those guys, hearing some good readings, and hopefully that's going to translate to a lot of great content for the listeners. Yeah, if we can work it out, we want to... Uh, the idea right now is to... to to have some good content to make episodes out of maybe some bonus episodes from those readings. So, uh, if everything goes well, uh, you, even if you're far away, like, uh, the Netherlands, which I think is actually, um, what is that? Is it above the North pole? Anyway, even if you're in another country, hopefully you'll be able to enjoy some of these readings as well. Yeah. It's, uh, really looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be a great time. Um, we, we won't necessarily be attending AWP as it's sold out prior to us um, <laughs> purchasing our tickets. Um, but, you know, yeah, we just mentioned Anthony Neal Smith, Doc Noir, um, made me feel much better when he listed some of the seminars they were having and just how dull they sounded. So I think I'm okay with not sitting through hours and hours of some of that stuff. Uh, not a lot of people are going to get this joke, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm actually just waiting for my Margaret Atwood costume to come back from the cleaners, and then I think I'm good. She's like the main speaker at the uh, AWP this year. It's a popular... All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was totally waiting to get the inside joke, and you said that, and I was like, I, yeah, I'm one of the ones that doesn't get it. So it's Margaret Atwood is like the keynote speaker or whatever at the, the biggest... The big name, the premier speaker for the for the AWP in Chicago, I believe. Or I could just be making it up in my mind. That's cool. I'm sure we'll run into Margaret while she's the drunked out on uh, on champagne in a bar somewhere, and maybe we'll get a sample from her on the, on the show. 
<laughs> we'll club her and steal her credentials and uh, just leave her in a in a booth in the back of a, a bar. Oh, you sound so experienced when you say that. <laughs> um, kind of tying into that. One of the people I'm hoping that we get to uh, spend a little bit of time with uh, over that weekend is Pablo Destair, who's um, out of bullets throw the gun um, challenge sort of kind of ended. Yeah, that's right. The The due date for voting, as you may have heard from us one of many times, the deadline was January 31st. So that deadline has passed a couple days ago. Um, however, there's a little bit of an extension, so you still have a chance to uh, to maybe do a little bit of voting for it. He's extended the deadline to February 7th, so so you'll have a couple days after this goes up on our website to get over there and vote if you still want to. And um, there's there's a little bit of a twist to the terms of the contest as well, which might push you in that direction. Here's uh, the reason behind the the one week extension. Apparently, um, which is really unfortunate because we, we're hearing this more and more nowadays. Um, so a bunch of people downloaded the books. Fifteen percent of those people, roughly, actually got back to to Pablo with a vote. And I think he's allowing the extension because he's way out in front at two to one from the fifteen percent of people that voted. So. Um, but yes, uh, he has decided since uh, if he is indeed the winner, and it looks like he's going to be, that um, he's going to donate the first prize, which was $100, um, which he doesn't have to pay out now because he's the winner, to a charity. Yeah. So either way, if you want him to give some money to charity, vote for him or who you think he is. Uh, if you want him to pay out to some good authors, uh, vote for who you think he's not. But either way, I think it's a good idea to vote because uh, this is a cool contest and I think the better participation he has in this one, the more likely he's going to be to do more in the future. So um, get out there and and uh, participate. Yeah, and you know what? Hey, if you hate charity, go on and try to vote for the other authors too. <laughs> yeah, because if they win, then charity gets nothing. So <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. Right. That's how I thought about it initially. I was like, man, did I vote? And I was like, oh, I already voted. And I probably voted for Pablo. <laughs> Um, so, uh, do you want to talk about what we're reading for our next review? I would actually. So I'm going to go ahead and butcher another name cause I'm getting really good at this, uh, on the show. So many months ago, um, when we had Gordon Highland on, uh, he had mentioned to us that one of the authors we needed to keep an eye out for was, uh, and here's the butchering part of the name, Andre Z with a Z at the end of Andre, uh, Bergen who is the author of Tobacco Stained Mountain Goat, a sci-fi noir um, story that uh, is next up on our list. That's right. Um, I, I'll be completely honest. I'm going this a little bit blind. Uh, I'm sure that I read up a little bit about it when Gordon mentioned it back in the day, but uh, books and books and books have piled up in my mind since then. So uh, I, I'm, I'm going in really fresh, but I'm excited to get to get cracking on this. Yeah, I am too, and it's uh, it's kind of interesting. I've wanted to do something sci-fi for a while. It's one of the genres we kind of talked about keeping an eye out for, so maybe this is a nice light transition into sci-fi versus something very heavy. So Tobacco Stained Mountain Goat could be the winner for best title that we've had so far. Yeah, and the cover art's really cool looking too. Yeah, so that's what we're doing next. We have some special stuff in the works, hopefully, that we don't want to say because we're not 100% sure of. But uh, look for some good episodes coming up here shortly. That's right. And like Livia said before, it's nice to kind of know what's coming up in advance and 
we have a, a can we have actually things on our calendar so it looks very nice yep things that say like review book here yeah exactly okay so if you want to get in touch with us bookedpodcast.com is our website you can leave comments on any of our episodes and uh, we actually pay pretty good attention to that so that's a good way to, to, to talk to us over there you can email us bookpodcast at gmail.com or absolutely hit us up on Facebook it's facebook.com slash bookedpodcast and that leaves me with apparently very daunting task of telling you where you can listen to us um, you can listen at the website bookedpodcast.com um, you can download us from iTunes and that's uh, where booked podcast on iTunes um, you can also listen at Stitcher but here's the thing Marty from Stitcher sends out an email like every week with a top his like top picks from Stitcher and I gotta tell you I'm gonna stop talking Stitcher unless Marty decides that we're one of the top picks so if you've got an in or no Marty you gotta tell him he's gotta give book some love if we're gonna keep talking about Stitcher that's right Marty you heard it here first and uh, something that I think we may have mentioned in the past but uh, now that we're over the 50 episode mark uh, older episodes are dropping off of iTunes, but that doesn't mean that they're lost forever. If you go to the Booked Podcast uh, main page, down in the right-hand corner, there's a little link for archives. If you go to archives, you can find all of the stuff that's dropped off of iTunes and download it uh, or link right to the episodes and listen to it right on the website. Um, I know some of the, the more popular ones, like some of our Anthony Neal Smith reviews and Early interviews with like Caleb J. Ross and stuff have dropped off of iTunes, but I want to make sure everybody knows they're still available. So check out our archives if there's something that you are looking for that you can't find. Yeah, man. What are we at? 62 episodes now? 60. Yeah, 62. Yeah, I think so. Wow. You know, we're closing in on the century mark. <laughs> we haven't learned better yet. We're still doing it. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so as long as people keep listening, we'll keep doing it. So that's right. Um, so yeah, look forward to some good episodes coming up. I'm very excited about some of the things we've got uh, in the near future here. Um, look for us to work out some things where you may be able to find us in some other places on the internet, some stuff we've got going on in the works. Um, yeah, it's good times. So That's right. And uh, let us know if you're going to be in Chicago for AWT or AWP. I don't know what AWT yeah, either is. One. But <laughs> one. Sure. Either way, if you're going to be in Chicago for one of those and uh, feel like meeting up and hanging out, I'm sure Frank Edler is packing up the car right now. Um, <laughs> let us know, and yeah, we'll we'll meet up for uh, at one of these uh, these readings or something and, and hang out. Yeah, absolutely, and and we sincerely mean that. There's um, we've met so many great people on the show and come into contact with so many great people, and it'd be nice to meet people face to face and sit down and uh, and uh, have a drink. And uh, yeah, we'd like to throw some material together for our episodes. If you've got anything specific in mind you'd like to do for AWP and you'd like it featured here on book, please drop us a line. We're we're open to, to listening to just about anything. Cool. All right. Well, I don't think we can possibly drag this out any longer. So uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this. Uh, this very long <laughs> but very interesting book review episode of Booked. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snudden. Keep reading. Keep reading.